Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna, like that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Deckett. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Coco Fernandez. Yes, that's true, Matt. Our story begins today with an anecdote. Coco Fernandez, that's C-O-C-O-A Fernandez, is a registered voter or was a registered voter. For a short time. For a short time, pretty recently. In uh, Palm Beach County. It's West Palm Beach, Florida. Mm -hmm. Where my in-laws reside. That's true. That's one of the uh, things they're most well-known for (laughs) at Palm Beach in this this show, at least. So, you know, at basis, being registered to vote is a good thing. Yeah, you turn 18, you get to send your registration in. Oh, my gosh, I can vote my first election. Coco, you're doing it right. You, too, can wait in line, <laughs> right? Uh, and you can have a say, and you in, can have in, a say in some of the biggest elections that exist in our country. You can sort of have a say. 
We'll get into it. <laughs> okay. Your, your say might not be as direct as you think, but it is important. And Coco, we can guess, probably didn't understand the importance of voting or registering to vote because, you see, Coco is, in addition to being a resident of Florida, a poodle. Oh, yeah. So how did that happen? Well, according to Palm Beach County election supervisor Teresa Lepore, criminal activity got this dog on Palm Beach County's voter rolls. Oh, like somebody signed the dog up? Mm-hmm. And she asked the state attorney to investigate whether Coco's owner, a lady named Wendy Albert, or someone else fraudulently filled out the election card to embarrass Teresa Lepore's office. Coco got on the voter rolls in uh, July of that year. This kind of crime, if you are convicted of it, carries a maximum five-year prison term and a $5,000 fine. Lepore says she suspects Wendy Albert of doing this fraudulent registration. Ah, I wonder what ID she used. It doesn't say that in the story here. Like (laughs) who who said, okay, this uh, Coco – Fernandez, this Mm. looks like your identification. Okay, you're in. Now, Albert, for her part at the time, the story broke, didn't say which of her friends she thought was the suspect, but she denied any wrongdoing. And she is pretty bothered that Coco, who is by all accounts a great dog, but still a dog, uh, she's bothered by the fact that the dog got a voter card in the first place. She says, It's kind of scary with all the problems we've had in Palm Beach County. Even a dog can vote. This is the same Palm Beach, by the way, if you're familiar with the 2000 U.S. presidential election. This is the same Palm Beach that was home to the butterfly ballot and became the focus of all these legal battles and protests. Yeah, some hanging chads there? That's a Mm -hmm. different thing. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. That was a weird couple of days. Now, for the record, for better or worse, as far as we know, Coco Fernandez has not actually voted. Registered, but not not a voter. And it brings us to one of the strangest parts of U.S. government history, the voting system, right? On, on paper, Matt, the U.S. voting system sounds like a pretty solid idea, right? It's pretty appealing. Yeah. One citizen, one vote. And then we count them all up, and whoever has the most, you win. There we go, right? Short, sweet, simple and most importantly, neutral and fair. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of things that interfere with this process on paper, and often, some would say more often than not, the process in practice is not the process on paper. So we wanted to open with an anecdote that sounds ridiculous, and we wanted to assure you, fellow conspiracy realists, that this is not an isolated incident. Dogs are voting everywhere in this country. Left and right. (laughs) No, literally, politically for the left and the right. (laughs) So if if you are a U.S. citizen, as you said, Matt, generally speaking, in theory, you get one vote per person to make your voice heard. Now, there are a lot of complications that arise with this for differing reasons, right? Uh, One of the biggest ones that was recently reported in Last Week Tonight, a great show by John Oliver and his writing staff, uh, is the idea of felons voting. Mm -hmm. Because in several states, you cannot vote if you have been convicted of a felony 
And there, in states where there's a process to regain your right to vote, often those processes are, are pretty difficult to get yeah. through, you know? Well, and can we go ahead and hit an example now, or should we just... Yeah, let's, hit, let's hit one, yeah. All right, well, let's, just speaking of felons who are voting, let's go to the case of Crystal Mason. She is a convicted felon. Uh, she went to prison for some tax fraud issues. Um, and then after she got out of prison in 2016, she attempted to vote for the presidential election or vote in the presidential election. And according to her attorneys, she, she had no idea that she could not vote as a convicted felon Mm -hmm. and her name was not on the ballots when she went to go and, you know, vote. So she, she cast a provisional ballot at, I believe it was her church. And then she got, uh, caught up and she's now, or she was, at least in June of 2018, uh, she was on trial. And Mm -hmm. she ended up being sentenced to five years in prison for voting illegally because she was a felon on probation. Uh, Five years in prison for attempting to vote as a felon. Mm -hmm. So I guess the idea here, that that measure of, of giving five years in prison to an individual trying to vote who is a felon is like, don't try that again, I guess, some kind of preventative sure. measure as a scare tactic kind of thing. Because I don't know, it, it, not to cast judgment on it either way, that's mm. a pretty harsh sentence. Right. And state by state, these sorts of laws differ. We highly recommend that you Watch the John Oliver piece, which largely centers on Florida, but also check out the information in your own state, Mm -hmm. right? And it doesn't matter whether or not you're a felon. It's important to know these sorts of things. And look, there's another complication too that we mentioned just a second ago. While you can vote for or against certain policy changes in local elections, like if you go to vote in your local election and you see a a tax bill or a zoning issue or something, in federal elections, you never directly vote on policy. No. What exactly is going to happen? Right. Instead, you vote to elect representatives who will again, in theory, represent the wishes and concerns of your community at a national level. That's why this is known as a representative democracy. So, for instance, if um, super producer Paul is running for Senate and happens to be running for the state in which we vote, we don't get to vote on all the things that Senator super producer Paul – his name is getting longer Mm – that Senator super producer Paul will deal with on a day-to-day thing or in a legislative session. We can write letters to him. We can go to fundraisers. We can ask him to do things. We can raise money for him. We can raise money for him. But we are not in the room where it happens, to, to borrow the Hamilton line. Anyhow, that, that does still seem pretty simple, right? You may not be directly affecting a lot of policy, but you are – you still have agency if you're a voter because you're choosing the person who, again, in theory, will represent the interests of your, yourself as a voter and of your community. It's pretty simple, right? But wait, as Billy Mays was wont to say, there's more, right, Matt? Oh, yeah. Especially in the case of the presidential election system, the, the thing that becomes the massive event that occurs every four years usually in mm-hmm. this country. Mm-hmm. There are 
two separate types of voter counts. And we've discussed this before a little bit. Um, the first is a popular vote. That's the one that we've been discussing this whole time. One person, one vote, everyone uh, casts that vote, everybody gets counted, and that and the final number is what the popular vote is. Mm-hmm. The other thing, it's that electoral college vote. It's a little strange. This is thing. This is where it gets complicated to the level of I need somebody to explain this to me, please. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a very small subsection of voters. So if you think of the millions of human beings and citizens that live in the United States mm-hmm. who are voters, mm-hmm. will that all the way down to 530-something? Uh, I believe in the last election it was 538. Um, and within this 538 people, you just need a majority of them to win the presidency according to the electoral college vote. So in this case, with 538, you need a majority of 270. Now, you're, it's, it's, this is, it gets even more complicated. Sure. The number of electoral votes that your state gets equals the number of congressional members for your state. So for each member in the House of Representatives, you get that many plus two more. And those uh, that's for your senators, mm-hmm. obviously, because mm-hmm. every state gets two senators. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's your electoral college vote. So it's essentially like counting all the people in Congress in both houses and then saying those people vote. Right. Sort of, yeah. But it's yeah. not those people voting. It's just that number of people voting. Your, yeah, because the people who cast the electoral votes are chosen in different ways by yeah. parties. They're not – those folks aren't – elected in the same way that an elected official is elected, which I know sounds very strange, sounds very Orwellian. Some are more equal than others, et cetera, uh, because it is. Let's just say that. It is. It's got a a lot of problems. It leaves room for manipulation of a right. much smaller group of people. And there are people who on, on both sides of the aisle who will raise very valid points about how um, the electoral system could be improved, but not everybody agrees on how that would happen. We will do an episode on the electoral college in the future, but for now, let's just keep it at this. There are two voting systems for the presidential election, and you, if you are a U.S. voter, directly vote only in one of those. And that's where we see all this controversy that arises when someone says, I object to insert president name here because they won the electoral vote but they did not win the popular vote or something because mm-hmm. those things don't always jibe. And today we're focusing on that. We're focusing on the popular vote. It's not going to be a snooze fest. We promise you <laughs> this is going to be both interesting and important and it's going to hinge on your input at the end, folks. We desperately need and welcome your help for this. We're focusing on the popular vote, particularly that time every four years when you, specifically you, if you're part of the, let's say about 58 percent, a little more than 58 percent of eligible voters who voted during the 2016 election, we're, we're focusing on that time every four years when you actually vote, cast your ballot, and make your opinions known. Because, as it turns out, Just that, just your vote, is the subject of numerous massive conspiracy theories. So here are the facts. I feel like it's not spoiling anything. I don't think anybody's going to be surprised to hear that the U.S. voting system has enormous problems. And uh, listeners based outside of the U.S., 
Thanks for coming. Stick with us. Promise this will not be a big jargony slog for you. This will be interesting for you too. Astonish and amaze your American friends. You may well walk away from this episode knowing more about their political system than they do. We is, certainly hope so. It's a ding on us. It's not a, it's not a ding on you. <laughs> so while everyone can, this is the funny thing, Matt, everyone can agree that the system needs an overhaul of some sort. But the problem is that politicians and activists just cannot seem to agree on exactly what those changes should be. There's an author named Lorraine C. Minnett who wrote a paper called An Analysis of Voter Fraud in the United States. And she had a really fascinating quote that, that summed this up. Since the 2000 election, an historic effort has been underway in the United States to strengthen voting systems across all 50 states and to address obstacles to broader electoral participation. Oh, sorry. (laughs) At both the federal and state levels, however, efforts to advance a reform agenda have been frequently complicated by heated debates over the integrity of voting systems and by allegations of widespread election fraud and its cohort, voter fraud. You got to love the way they depict those as if they're a team of evil supervillains. Yeah. Election fraud and its sidekick, voter fraud. It's cohort. What a weird term to use for that. It's cohort. Uh, and then we have, we have an example of how this came up in recent elections because there have been people who are very high up in politics raising concerns about voter fraud specifically. And what do you say, Matt? We can go ahead and play this clip. Yeah. A lot of times it doesn't matter because in many places, like California, the same person votes many times. You probably heard about that. They always like to say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. Not a conspiracy theory, folks. Millions and millions of people. And it's very hard because the state guards their records. They don't want to see it. So that is the that is a quote from the current president of the United States, uh, Donald Trump, who is who is arguing that voter fraud does exist and that people from both political parties are ignoring it. So there's something interesting going on there. What he's, st- what he's saying is that there is voter fraud. Look at all these places where voter fraud is happening. If you talk about voter fraud, they're, they're going to say bad things about you. They, I'm assuming, uh, the media or – sure. I'm, or maybe I'm not exactly or sure. Political opponents, maybe. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps political opponents. So that is one of the reasons why we're doing this episode, right? Mm-hmm. Because that kind of uh, rhetoric has been around on on both sides somewhat, but mostly coming from one direction. Um, the allegations of this kind of widespread voter fraud. So just putting it out there. That's one of the main reasons why we're even covering this right now. Who knows? Maybe people will say bad things about us because we're bringing up voter fraud. Well, yeah, and the whole point is to see if there's any salt to this stuff, right? That's why we're doing this. So let's pause there on that clip and have a word from our sponsor. When we come back, we'll we'll examine what voter fraud actually is. It may not be exactly what you assume. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know. What were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. 
Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's kid-safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And we're back. So here is the $57 question. I'm just assigning a random arbitrary value to this question, Matt. Is that okay? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Here's the $57.13 34 cents question. I like that number. Thanks. Thanks, man. It's for you. Uh, What is voter fraud? Well, first, it's a pretty broad term and it's often confused with these other related but distinct concepts. There are three ideas at play here and it's important, it's crucial to differentiate them. First, straight up voter fraud. There's a nonprofit that works on voter registration called Project Vote, and they define voter fraud as the, quote, intentional corruption of the electoral process by the voter. It's when a voter knowingly blows off that American idea of one person, one vote, and attempts to influence an election. And it's the idea that people will vote using a fake identity, you know, so you vote once as Matt Frederick, once as uh, Dennis LeBoy. I've <laughs> I like Dennis LeBoy. <laughs> He's always been my favorite voting identity. <laughs> and then I vote once as like uh, Ben and once as Max Powers, astronaut mm-hmm. with a secret. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and then we, we rinse and repeat ad nauseum until we have done this uh, – 
to such an extent that we skew the outcome of the election. That would take a lot of those. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time, right? Mm-hmm. And this doesn't count honest mistakes or pranks. Like when the lady in Florida got pranked, uh, when Mrs. Albert got pranked and somebody registered her poodle. You mean fi- when she registered her poodle? <laughs> None of her friends jokingly registered her poodle. To sway the election. Yeah, what a weird paperwork-heavy prank. Yeah, come on. What happened to just TP on someone's yard? Hey, I got you. Your dog's registered to vote. <laughs> Burn. That's <laughs> I love that idea. That's so weird. But but, um, also Coco, uh, if you're curious, is a registered Republican. Oh, nice. These kinds of shenanigans only count as fraud when someone purposely does it as in an attempt to sway an election, not just because somebody was getting drunk or high and thought it would be hilarious if their hamster, you know, had the right to vote. Yeah. But then – so that's the stuff. Voter fraud in that definition is when someone on the voter side tries to influence an election. And that's different from straight-up election fraud. Yeah, this one – this – like the idea, the concept of election fraud is a lot more broad than just voter fraud. Um, The the DOJ, the Department of Justice, actually looks at a full-on 12 ways – that an election uh, can be corrupted in one way or another. And it is actually extremely rare that this fraud is ever committed by the, you know, the person, the the singular human being that goes in to cast a ballot. And if you look at those 12 ways, you, you can look this up. Uh, search for Federal Prosecution of Election Offenses, 7th edition. If you want to just edge your seat, adrenaline <laughs> rush, heart-pounding read. Dude, it's it's a huge document. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know how many chapters. I didn't get past the first four. Well, I don't know. <laughs> we 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 did read through it. I read through it. We wanted to save you some time. So the twelve things that they count as election fraud are conspiracy against rights, deprivation of rights, false information in and payments for registering and voting, and then things like voting more than once. Voter intimidation, voter suppression, fraudulent registration, voting by non-citizens, which is a big thing, travel act, mail fraud, troops at polls, you know, like having military members stationed at polls, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Campaign dirty tricks and retention of federal election records. So that that gets pretty dry very quickly, but it's important stuff. And as you said, God. Matt, yeah, as you said, Matt, it's extremely rare, at least in the DOJ's findings, that the voters who line up, average John and Jane Doe, America, their last name's America. Okay, I've got to up the improvisation before we continue. Uh, but it's it's extremely rare that these people would be the source of nefarious activities at polls. Yeah, I mean, for this kind of stuff, the the large scale election fraud, you're going to look at groups of people. You're going to look at either opposing the opposing force, like if you are one of the per, the persons running the election, it's going to be the opposing camp, perhaps, is trying to do this. Maybe mm-hmm. um, some advocacy group that's a third party to the election has a, a hand in doing something like this. Um, even the uh, election officials themselves trying to rig an election in some way for some reason or another. That's, I mean, that's really what you're looking at with this kind of thing. Even maybe the candidate 
himself, trying to pull some strings somewhere. Mm-hmm. Quite possibly, yeah. And for some reason, I could see that happening more easily in local elections. Oh, sure. Just with the just the numbers involved. Remember when? Uh, remember when I asked you what a comptroller actually does? Yeah. I wonder if a comptroller has ever fixed the election. I mean, they're good with numbers, so I'm assuming probably they I, could. I would watch that show. I would watch a show about small town dirty comptroller politics. They could launder those votes. There we go. Or another. So. That stuff is is more common. That's a pretty broad definition used at the federal level. There's also the practice of voter suppression, and this is going to be very familiar to a lot of a lot of us listening outside of the U.S. Because voter suppression is is distressingly and alarmingly common in a lot of countries in the modern day. Voter suppression describes the many ways in which one political party or group will attempt to prevent certain voters from making it to the polls or force people to vote for a certain candidate or a certain policy. On election day in 2010, about 112,000 voters in Maryland, located mostly in black voting districts, got these weird robocalls that said the incumbent – there's a person named Martin O'Malley, had won and that there was no need to vote. The recorded voice said, our goals have been met. We're okay. Relax. Everything's fine. The only thing left is to watch it on TV tonight. The problem is those calls were authorized by the campaign manager of the opponent candidate for governor and Martin O'Malley had not won. No, elections were still open. It was just meant to persuade people not to vote. Yeah, what a dirty, stinking trick that is, man. Right, right. And it, it's uh, – the courts agreed, by the way. They said it was not just campaign speech. Mm-mm. It's not just free speech. It was purposely misleading and fraudulent. Uh, but then there's the other the other more physical case of people being physically intimidated at polls. Or right? near polls. Mm-hmm. That's because there are some – Weird little rules that you can kind of skirt around having to do with number of feet away from an election center and all this stuff. Right. Um, but if you get caught doing that and trying to suppress a vote that way mm-hmm. by intimidation, you can get in some serious trouble. And clearly elections, again, across across the world have some just cartoonish tactics going up. I mean we've we've all seen reports where a certain politician wins like 100 percent of the vote and gets 110 percent of the vote in some districts and things like that. Yeah. I'm pulling those specific numbers uh, just out of the, out of thin air. But there have been situations where – a certain district in some country or another gets more than 100% of a vote for a candidate. That's how you know everybody's involved. Mm-hmm. Doing it right, you got more votes than you should have. That's right. Everybody's given – everybody is learning from Coco Fernandez. That's right. So the problem with this stuff is we can all agree that these are terrible things and they can skew a nation. They're dangerous things. But there's another thing we have to we have to admit, which is some efforts to prevent voter fraud have led to voter suppression. So some efforts to prevent unscrupulous people from voting multiple times have led to totally innocent people being denied the right to vote. And it it gets tricky. But the type of voter fraud we almost always hear mentioned in U.S. media is not that nuanced, nor does it make any big 
differentiations. The type of voter fraud you'll see reported in the news in the past few years is almost always going to be the specific fear that certain voters are intentionally voting multiple times, either under assumed identities or just by traveling to different locations and voting. So somebody is, for instance, registered somehow in three states and they just – Or just three counties even. Or just three counties even and then just go and vote Every county. So instead of one person, they, they end up having the power of three people and just expand that by a huge degree and you'll see the problem people are posing. If this exists, it's a massive effort. I mean you would need so many people voting so many times to make a discernible difference in the polls. Yeah, the, the numbers would be astounding here just to make a, a large enough difference unless you're looking at a very small voting block. But then again, if you're voting, if you're voting multiple times, you're not going to be voting in the exact same pool that's being collected. So your one vote is only one little drop in the bucket. You would have to have hundreds, probably thousands, no, probably hundreds of thousands of people doing this to really sway a, a large enough vote. Yeah, like maybe on a federal level. Yeah. Uh, but well, no, on a federal level, you'd have to have millions. Probably. I, you know, it also depends on the districts, the specific districts, because some of those districts get very, very close, like in a matter of a margin of error of a few hundred votes. Yes. But I, I guess I'm – what I'm saying is if you're taking part in this and you're mm -hmm. organizing it yeah. to the extent that you would need to do to actually sway an election reliably, mm -hmm. you would need to have at least thousands. Even if, it, even if the margin is going to mm -hmm. be a couple hundred – you have to have them in place, right? Mm -hmm. You'd also need to be able to predict where exactly where you needed to slot those uh, fake voters in, right? So really what we're talking about is something you would do from a console and you'd be a hacker. And it would be <laughs> the movie hackers and you'd have virtual reality going mm -hmm. through servers. That's really the only way to do it. Sponsored by Diebold. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, when you hear stories of voter fraud in the media, there's often going to be a lurid tale of dead people voting or maybe um, maybe non-U.S. citizens being intimidated or forced to travel around in a van and vote under false identities. And usually when you hear that, there's going to be an immediate solution proposed after that. Coupled with this description of something dangerous, there's going to – almost always be a description of what needs to happen to fix it. And that'll be stuff like voter ID. Voter ID? Voter ID, you say? You mean taking your identification to go and register for, to vote and or to vote? Right, which people already do. That sounds so simple. <laughs> Just take your ID, right? Everybody has an ID. Mm -hmm. Or a specialized ID just for voting, right? But it's not so simple. It's not so simple. And we'll, we'll get into that in a moment. We can all agree, however, that if voter fraud exists, it needs to be stamped out. It is rigging the game even more than it's already rigged. Yeah. Which I feel like is not a controversial statement, is it? No. Okay. You can pay as much as money as you want to any politician. That's true. That's true. And you can do it uh, without being directly associated with the money either. Yeah. So and it's fine. It's fine. It's, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, however, critics of the the claims about voter fraud say that there's something very different at work here. They say that voter fraud itself is a conspiracy, but not the way it's being described to you in the media. Here's where it gets crazy. 
in this situation, we truly do have a house divided. To people who believe that voter fraud is rampant, there is a concerted conspiracy at the heart of the election process, and it is one perpetrated by the political left. And conversely, to people who believe that voter fraud is non-existent, it's not even a thing, it's massively overhyped, if it is a thing at all, there's a concerted conspiracy at the heart of the election process. However, this one is perpetrated by the political right. So, oddly enough, a a ton of people believe that there is a genuine conspiracy afoot. People have... On all sides of the political aisles, people have conspiracy theories about this. The only thing is that no one can universally agree on exactly what the conspiracy is. And that's perhaps because it is so deeply divided to the left and right about what is believed to be the conspiracy. I know. Welcome to the age of no you politics. Uh, right? Just don't engage everybody. OK, but let's for, for purposes of learning, let's keep let's going. Let's figure it out. Yeah. All right. So in the modern day, accusations of voter fraud are closely tied to the recent election and – The current president, President Trump, has also echoed these claims. According to the Washington Post in 2018, during a visit to West Virginia, uh, President Trump said, a lot of times it doesn't matter because in many places like California, the same person votes many times. You probably heard about that. They always like to say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. Not a conspiracy theory, folks. Millions and millions of people, and it's very hard because the state guards their records. They don't want to see it. Okay. So this was um, this is interesting because this is after uh, the election has already been decided, and there he's were, arguing about popular vote, right? Right. Well, there were yeah. Well, there were people additionally, I guess, opponents of the Trump campaign or administration who said back in 2015, 2016, really that he was bringing up. Well, his speechwriters were bringing up the idea of voter fraud as sort of a way to backpedal if he did if not lose. yeah if he didn't lose the election that's when barack obama put forward that statement uh, that was really widely like recirculated around that time mm. where he was speaking to that same effect like if you you're bringing up voter fraud as a way to Safeguard against perhaps if you lose. But the the important part with Barack Obama, mm-hmm. with his statement was that he said it, it would be almost impossible to influence our elections in this country just due to the size of these elections and the complexity of them. It would be almost impossible to interfere with our elections. That's, that's the quote he gave. Mm-hmm. And then the interesting thing that happens after that is then – the Democratic Party alleges that that very thing occurred and it was a state actor. It wasn't uh, an inside job of American voters messing mm-hmm. with things. It was Russia itself. Right, right, which is not voter fraud. That's election fraud. It's election right? fraud, yeah, yeah. But still, just the whole the whole mess that became all of these things. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we see, the, we see the issue painted wide. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we see a lot of claims. So what if the claims of widespread voter fraud, a conspiracy to commit voter fraud, are true? It brings uh, several questions to mind immediately. First, how many people are actually voting multiple times, especially considering so many Americans can't be arsed to vote one time? You know what I mean? How do you get arse that person to vote? How are you going to arse? I'm, 
A R S E. Yeah. Can we? Is that is that's like a an approach. get your arse out there and vote. <laughs> there we go. That's like an approachable curse word. Is it even <laughs> a curse word in Europe anymore? I don't know. Uh, Arst. Well, they can't be bothered either way. <laughs> yes. Uh, regardless of where they stand with their arse. Well, we can't give you those exact numbers because we do not have those numbers. Those, the, yeah. those numbers are not easily attainable, even if we could attain them. Mm. Uh, we can tell you how one person did it. Is that worth it? Yeah. Do you want to hear that? Yeah, lay it on us. Okay. Uh, this is a woman named Terry Lynn Rote. She was, let's see, 56 in 2017. Uh, she attempted to vote for Donald Trump twice mm-hmm. in the 2016 election. And she did so because she thought – she was listening to the words of Donald Trump at the time mm-hmm. uh, in the buildup to the election and believed that um, the Democrats were going to be using voter fraud to win the election. Uh, that's that's what she believed, at least according to uh, to her statements. So Terry Lynn wrote – cast uh, one vote, her regular vote. It was an absentee vote, I believe. Um, then she was arrested when she was trying to cast a second ballot. She was going to this, uh, at least in the article on the Independent, it was called a satellite voting location. And uh, she said, quote, I don't know what came over me uh, at the time. She just thought she has to do this in order to help the person she wants to be elected get elected. Okay, so from her standpoint then, it was not a planned uh, – Nobody told her to do it necessarily – she wasn't working with a network of people. Yes. She – I believe in the article you'd sent me, she said that she was concerned her first ballot where she voted for Trump would be changed to a vote for Clinton. That was a lot of uh, – there were a lot of rumors about that, especially if you use the electronic voting at the time. Mm-hmm. If you put in your vote, you hit cast ballot and it would flip. That's what the – the uh, there are people alleging that. So according to her story, she was literally just walking by that early voting location and said, "You know what? I it's I've got to make sure I'm at least heard once." Yeah. So she got what two years probation? Correct. And uh, she got a fine as well. Yeah, seven hundred and fifty dollars. So she, she actually voted twice. Okay, so she actually did it. We she know, attempted. We know that this happened. And then you mentioned earlier the story of Crystal Mason. Yeah, Crystal right? Mason. So if you're if we're counting up then how many felons are out there voting illegally, that's the one case that we can point to right now as best case. It's someone who perhaps didn't know that mm-hmm. she couldn't vote as a felon, attempted right. to vote, and she got caught. Okay. So Again, we have no extra votes yet. No okay, no. Does votes. that make sense? Yes. So yeah. in both of these instances, um, Trying to vote twice, got caught at the at the polling place. Mm-hmm. Uh, attempting to vote illegally as a, as a felon, got caught. Okay, so what about the other big concern? I think we've all heard it um, espoused most often on the right. The concern of non citizens voting that could be anywhere from uh, an undocumented immigrant, someone who doesn't have a legal residency status. Or someone yes. who is a legal resident but it does not have citizenship, right? Yes. We can we can look to a story from 2018 about a woman named Laura Garza who was 38 years old. She pleaded guilty 
to charges of voter impersonation and ineligible voting. Sorry, I'm having a hard time saying ineligible right now. No, for a second, they said illegible. And I was thinking, man, I've been on the knife's edge so many times. <laughs> I need to That's have a felony. Illegibly voting. <laughs> Don't write ugly letters to us. Yes. Well, um, uh, Ms. Garza was sentenced to 10 years in jail in order to pay a $10,000 fine. Wow. So what she actually did was stole the identity of mm-hmm. an actual person a voter, mm-hmm. and then she voted, I believe, three at least three elections using this other person's identity. Not three times in one election, but over the course of several no, elections. I think 2004, 2012, and 2016. Oh, she did it for a while. Yeah. And so this kind of thing, there may be more of this out there where just someone else's sure. identity is being used. Perhaps mm-hmm. it is a, a dead person's identity. In this case, it was a person who was very much alive. Mm-hmm. who attempted to get a passport and they noticed that their name, their identity was already in a passport existing out there somewhere and had a voting record. I see. I'm glad you mentioned that, Matt, because it brings us to the methods through which voter fraud is claimed to manifest. Yes. One idea is that voter fraud is widespread because there are millions of people still on the rolls and the assumption is that these dead people's identities will be used by someone else. Yeah. It is true that the Pew Center on the States found that 1.8 million dead people were still on the voter rolls in 2012. That's a lot of people. That's enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. If those people rise from the grave and have a strong political opinion, which is unusual for zombies. That zombie vote. (laughs) That zombie vote. I would watch it. I would watch the zombie vote. If it's, I don't care if it's a sitcom, I don't care if it's, you know, like what happens if the zombies in The Walking Dead get the vote? Oh, nothing, because they don't show up on the show. Well, we know. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whoa, critique over here. Jeez, I know, dude. Shots fired. Paul, can I get a shots fired sound cue? <laughs> Thank you. I still haven't seen past episode one of the second season. Hey, you know, I'm I'm sure it's I'm sure it's a good show. It's just it doesn't have enough Walking Dead for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I want I want more zombies. What about what's the other one? Beware the Walking Dead or Fear the Walking Dead? Watch out, the Walking Dead. <laughs> Danger, <laughs> the Walking Dead. I would. Okay, if you were in it, I would watch it. Okay. If you were in it as a living person, I would watch it. Yes. So that's. That's a pretty enormous number, right? There's no way around it. No matter what you think going into the situation, 1.8 million people who are dead but still on – but are still registered voters, it's a big deal. And then there's this other idea that just the pure math shows voter fraud exists. This comes from the former vice chair of the Fraud Commission, Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach. Chris Kobach alleged that he found a certain sample of fraudulent votes in his state that and that if you extrapolated that percentage that he found yeah. to the full population of the US, then hundreds of thousands of specifically non-citizens had voted. So the problem with this is that his math included people who might have voted illegally, but not people who actually had. So people who okay, might is the right. Most Might's the key thing. phrase here. Got. And as of 2018, he had out of the um, 
out of all the cases that he had claimed to find, uh, only nine resulted in any kind of conviction or plea deal. And this is over the course of multiple state elections. And the sad part is most of those nine convictions or plea deals came from older people who were confused by the law. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe maybe they had not voted correctly, but they weren't like wheedling in some strange scheme to get the, the comptroller elected. <laughs> no, dude, a comptroller needs to chill. Jeez. People go power mad. They've, they've got the not, – not a lot of people can – Wield the cop patrols, you know what I mean? Had, I know, but had, you're you're literally crunching numbers and signing checks and stuff. But you're not making that money. You're getting a paycheck on top of everything. Come on, comptroller. What, the, what are you talking? You're not Dude, in charge. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. You know what I mean? <laughs> Comptrollers. What's the board going to say, comptroller? <laughs> oh, it's in my head now, dude. I have this. I have this picture. Like a small town that is ruled by the the iron grip of a comptroller. <laughs> I love it. I would watch Maybe it's just it. the CPA. Yeah, and that's the that's the real engine of the dramatic arc. <laughs> it's okay. All right. Obviously, I think I'm I'm just rewriting Breaking Bad in my head. Ooh. Okay. Well, that's not a bad thing to to take on. Fear the Breaking Bad. Fear the Breaking Bad. <laughs> oh my gosh! You nailed it. <laughs> wow. Okay. You're a producer. Okay. Cool. <laughs> you're the producer on this one. I'm in. So the vote and let us know if you're the Breaking Bad is no case spinoff. We promise to count your votes fairly. So the problem is that the the math didn't quite work out there. And a lot of other institutions that we can we can list on this and do show notes or something. If you if you'd like to have more information about this, a lot of other institutions found fault with these claims. Yeah. There's the other idea that numerous non-citizens are voting through the use of fake identities. So they're taking some of those 1.8 million dead people voting as them or they're just stealing somebody else's information and voting as them. So let's let's look at the other side. Let's table that just for a second. What if it turns out that the reports of voter fraud are themselves fraudulent. For every case that we have named above, it seems there's very little translation to actual voter fraud. Now, we did, we did do some digging and we wanted, we wanted very much to find real legitimate cases where these types of voter fraud have been proven. And, you know, Matt, to your credit, you found several and organized them by type there, which we just explored. But the thing is, we didn't find near as much as has been claimed. You know what I mean? We didn't find hundreds of thousands of people. We didn't find millions of people. And this brings us to the question, is it, is it just being ruthlessly covered up? Is it being ignored? Is, are all records of this being, you know, purged? Well, it could be. Or could it be, Ben, that this whole voter fraud thing is a fraud itself? Right. The voter fraud fraud. We'll find out after a word from our sponsor. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. 
and we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human-moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Yes, that's the question. Is there voter fraud fraud? At the risk of, you know, sounding glib, because most of those registration miscounts you'll hear about, which are huge and inherently dangerous and arguably dangerous, they seem to come from, and this is going to be hard for a lot of us to take, they seem to come from people being really lazy instead of, being determined to rig the game of democracy and governance. And it can also be, just to throw this one in there, Mm. because of a lack of funding to update some of the technology used and a lack of personnel within a a department in like, let's say, however large the um, district is Mm -hmm. that has to count some votes or do some kind of like auditing. Mm -hmm. It can have to do with that too. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point, man, because people aren't supposed to get rich off of uh, running the vote. You know what I mean? No. 
But also with the registration thing, it's registration for voting is supposed to happen at these very significant points in your life. You know what I mean? Like your name changes, your address changes, you become 18, et cetera, et cetera. You get married. You get that's married. the name change thing. Yeah, that's a name change thing too. Uh, you so, become emancipated. Sorry. Yeah, All right. I'm, I'm done. You got it. No, this is great. This is great. You got any more? No. I'm going to stop now. Oh, those are good. Well, well I guess the point we're making is that these are life changes and – when you're moving to a different address, or when you're getting married or so on, a lot of people don't update their vo voter registration. It is surprisingly or unsurprisingly low on their list of priorities. When our loved ones die, we're usually not calling the voter registration office first to get a dead person's name off the poll. In fact, I would hazard, and this is entirely my assumption, this is entirely speculation, I could be very, very wrong on this, I would hazard many people, if not most, don't even know that's a thing you're supposed to do. I could not tell you – my grandmother passed not that long ago. I could not tell you right now whether or not she's still registered to vote either in Georgia where she's been residing or where she, where she used to live in Tampa. I could not tell you that. Right. I mean it's it's not a thing that you would normally think about mm -hmm. in such a, a – a, grief-stricken, terrible time in people's lives. But now I'm genuinely going to go check if I can't. I don't even – am I allowed to check as a grandson? All right. I got, I got to do some more digging on this. <laughs> and while you're digging, let's, let's continue down this rabbit hole a little bit further because we mentioned that critics of what we'll call the voter fraud conspiracy argue that there's a little evidence to back up the more extreme claims – but here's the thing. Many go further and say that those allegations about voter fraud are conspiratorial in a different way. They are meant to push another hidden agenda. Could voter fraud fears be a means of disenfranchising certain parts of the voting population? It's an interesting and fascinating question because you see both political pundits and academics, although the Political people who argue this are mainly on the left side of the aisle. Mm -hmm. uh, they say that voter fraud is simply a, quote, moral panic and that politicians are using concerns about this fraud as a justification for establishing new rules that make it more difficult to vote and that function more like voter suppression than an attempt to maintain the integrity of elections. The primary methods they object to are voter ID acts and laws requiring proof of address or citizenship. So that's, that's the other thing. If that is true, we have to ask ourselves, why would some states impose rules to fight a mythical scourge? So according to Lorraine Manette, remember we mentioned her earlier. She, she mm -hmm. did the whole end analysis of voter fraud in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, she says, quote, it boils down to a political equation. The people who are less likely to be registered, young people, people of color, naturalized citizens, and low-income people are more likely to be Democrats. So in this case, she's saying that these rules or these laws, these voter ID laws are targeting specifically people on one side of the political aisle mm. um, and preventing them or in an attempt to make it harder for them to mm. register and then get to the polls. Okay. So she clearly has pinned this on a specific party, right? Yes. She okay. is aiming at Republicans. And she argues that 
these voters are less likely to have a photo ID and more likely to have a tough time getting one. And then she says that as a result, Republicans, in her opinion, are inclined to support voting restrictions like ID laws, and Democrats are more likely to support lowering those barriers via stuff like automatic registration, pre-registration. That's when you're 16 or 17 years old, you can go ahead and register, hopefully, I'm sure, as they would imagine as a Democrat, uh, or older bills that allow voters to register when they get a driver's license renewed, stuff like that. Yeah, that's that's actually kind of cool. I like that. If you can drive, you might as well be registered to vote. I'm okay with that. Sure. Yeah, right? I I think the logic there is is sound. So essentially what she's saying is both parties are attempting to change the rules in ways that are estimated to best help their particular party. And this leads us to the conclusion. How do we effectively safeguard against possible fraudulent voting? Matt, you're throwing your arms up. Just set the whole thing on fire. That's that's what I would do. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, well, the New York Times, mm-hmm. uh, they, they wrote an article uh, that comes at least in part from the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, which, I mean, come on, with that, with that behind something, you got to know there's – there's some salt to it. Um, and then we're just going to read this quote here. It says, amid a chorus of warnings that the American election system is ground zero for foreign attackers, a panel of leading scholars and election experts experts issued a sweeping set of recommendations on how to make elections more secure. So this is directly from, from these people, the National Academies of Science and Engineering and Medicine. Here we go. Number one, they said, always have a paper trail for every vote cast. Basically a receipt for every vote, even in this is if it's done like in Georgia where I vote, where you get those little like a, I don't know, floppy disk mm-hmm. and you put the floppy disk in, you hit your vote, take a floppy disk out and you give it to somebody else and yeah. then it gets counted somehow. Um, they're saying there should always be a, a receipt essentially that you, the voter, gets to have and that also the the county gets to have or the district wherever you're voting. Okay, Makes a lot of sense. That's just for backup verification. It's also for easy auditing a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And currently there are five states, Georgia, South Carolina, Louisiana, Delaware, and New Jersey, uh, and portions of several others that do not have any kind of paper trail when you go and vote. Okay, Like in, in our case, when I go and vote every year, whenever elections come up, and you too probably, Ben, just depending on what county you're in, you put that thing in, that little, that little chipped thing, mm-hmm. it counts a vote. Then it goes somewhere else and you don't ever see it. Yeah. And then I just like circle around, put on my uh, flight suit and come back in and vote as Max Powers, astronaut with a secret. The mustache and everything. Mm -hmm. Yes. I thought that was you. Oh, man. Uh, Okay. So (laughs) that's number one. The next thing is don't ever, ever connect any voting systems ever at all, ever with the internet. Just Mm. don't do it because it's so susceptible to being, you know, any kind of manipulation, it can happen almost immediately upon hitting uh, the inter- the internet. Air gap that stuff and leave it that way. Okay. Um, and this is only a problem really because in some instances, uh, U.S. citizens who are abroad can gain access to online voting systems as well as service members who are abroad or overseas. That's really the only problems where that happens. Um, another thing, I mean, all this stuff seems so – it seems like stuff that Jimmy Carter and his organization at some point would be out there saying, we need to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, 
we are in Zimbabwe or something. We're going to have open elections for the first time. We're going to monitor these elections. Here's the huge list of things we need you to do. And yeah. it feels like it's the exact same list. Ah, I see what you're saying. So so what, what else? What else is on this list? Transparent audits of all elections at the state level. Basically audit all data. You, you scrub all the private information, so the individual voters' information, you get rid of all that, but you have all of the votes, like the, the metadata essentially, okay. and make that public. So anyone who wants to check it can check it. Hmm. Pretty – I mean I, – I can see how that would be easy to perceive as rigged. Okay. Perhaps. But I mean if, if again, you've got receipts on everything – so on, on the district level, you've got an audit that's available mm-hmm. online somewhere. On the state level, you've got an audit that's available somewhere of each district. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I feel like – I feel like those things – okay. So those things only work if they're all in, implemented. You know what I yes. mean? Yes. Yeah. And everything at this current state, it's all just everybody's on their own. Everybody's got their own – every state has their own system and then largely right. the districts within the states have their own systems. And then there would be the idea of a shared database, right? Oh, yeah. And what, just, what does that one mean? This is really good. So when there are databases of voters, uh-huh. right? So everybody in Georgia, that's one database. And then everybody in Florida, that's another database. Mm-hmm. And then what you do is you take those two databases and see where there are duplicates. So oh, if, okay. if someone had moved from Georgia to Florida or Florida to Georgia or something, you can eliminate whichever mm-hmm. one or you can at least find where the error is and then begin to fix it. But then for the sake of argument, then there, there's, a, there's potential for problems with that because multiple people have the same name. So there would be like, you know. You'd have to actually verify. So would both like Donnie LaBoy in Florida and Donnie <laughs> LaBoy in Georgia lose their vote? Well, here's, here's – uh, <laughs> Here's where the final thing – we're going to skip number six because it's just about mail voting and making it secure. Number seven, the most important thing here is inject federal and state funds into the voting process Hmm. so that you can have at least a rolling system of checking those things with an actual human being or set of hundreds of human beings Mm -hmm. checking these voter ballots Mm -hmm. or the registrations, let me say, so you can see what the duplicates are. And you could make a phone call to Mm -hmm. Joey or – Whoever, <laughs> call the poodle, all the poodles that are registered, make sure they're not the same poodle. <laughs> right. But really, you, you would spend some money to get it right, and then you would continually spend money every so often to keep getting it right. So why don't, why don't people want to do that? Why don't officials want that to happen? Because it's expensive, mm-hmm. and it would be harder to manipulate, Ben. Oh, that's just me talking. Tempted to that's agree. Me, that's me. Tempted to agree. To make it even more cynical, I would probably add – it's generally very difficult to get political officials to do something that has positive benefits after they are out of office. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you're in office for a two-year term, uh, you're working on a two-year mindset, right? And that usually that two-year mindset is oriented toward re-election for another few years. In a different position maybe? Who knows? A higher position? Per- Same yeah, position? Sure. In perpetuity? <laughs> Comptroller for life, bro. Uh, so that's – this is another question. There's almost nothing to do with this but it, it might be interesting. Uh, do you know if there are any other Matt Fredericks? There are a ton of Matt Fredericks. Are you serious? Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, there really are. There's some incredible people out there named Matt Frederick. Mm -hmm. Some of them don't have an E between Fred and Rick. Some of them do. Uh Some of them are straight up Matthews. Some of them are only Matt's. Some of them, I don't think there's another Matthew Tom. No, there is another Matthew Thomas Frederick. Dang. I'm just wondering, I don't want you to lose your right to vote. Oh, no. (laughs) But but for now. I trust those guys. You know, all the Matt Fredericks I've met, who are only you, (laughs) are great people. I look up to them immensely. Uh, For now, though, it seems that most allegations of voter fraud end up not being supported by research or data from multiple institutions. And this means that if such a thing is occurring, then it would be a massive cover-up involving not just thousands, but hundreds of thousands of people in the media, the election system, think tanks, universities, polling analysis, the courts, numerous branches of government staffed with officials of all political ideologies, and more. This is all not counting, of course, those actual mystery voters. To put it To put it mildly, it's a tall milkshake. It's a lot to take in. So we wanted to end on a question for you, folks. What do you think? Which of these two conspiracies do you find more credible? Is there widespread voter fraud as described so often in the media? Or is voter fraud itself a conspiracy meant to drive suppressive voting policies? Uh, We'd like to hear your opinion We'd also like to hear, and this is just a, this is the kind of talk that you're not allowed to have in a bar. So we'd like to have it with you here in the podcast. You know, you know yes, that thing, absolutely. Matt. Absolutely. Like you're never supposed to talk what religion or politics at a bar. And I think there was one other one. Uh, your Uber driver. <laughs> right. Sure. All those those three things. But this will. This is our collective opportunity. All of us to ask ourselves questions about the vote. Like, If you were in charge of revamping the voting system, what is a change you would make? For a long time, I was a big proponent of making it mandatory for every citizen to vote. Uh, that might be a little bit authoritarian of me. I was going through a despot phase at that time in my life. Uh, but this might surprise non-U.S. residents who are listening to the show. Uh, a true story. In the U.S., election day is not a holiday. You ha- you are left on your own to figure that out. So maybe that would be a change to make. I don't know. It's a know. Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. It's not a convenient day. A lot of work to be done on Tuesdays, Tuesday. generally. Yeah. Yeah. Monday, you still have a little bit of like the optimism that you can organize everything in a week. Yeah. <laughs> Tuesday, that's when the rubber hits the road, my friend. Yeah. That's the oh god! This is this isn't happening. Okay, we gotta we have to uh, we have to have lowered expectations. So let us know what you think. You can you know you can find us on the internet. We're I feel like we say it all the time because we say it at the end of every show. That's fine. You can find us there. Tell us about it. We'd love to hear from you. But more importantly, we'd love to have you tell us about it. Yes, live in person because we are going on tour. That's right. 
Go to StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com. That's our website. Click on the tab up in the top right corner. It says Live Shows. You can see where we're going to be. It's going to be in October of this year. If you're listening to this in October, then you better hurry over there and get some tickets because we might be in your area very, very soon. (laughs) So buy tickets while you can. Come see us. It'll be a lot of fun because really – I don't know. I think we're okay to hang out with. And we want to hang out with you because we hear you're awesome. And no spoilers for the show, but it is not to be missed. And it's uh, it's not going to be the kind of thing you hear on the podcast. No. If you like this show, you will love the live shows. Do check yeah. it out. Uh, feel free to write to us if you have any questions. Feel free to call us, Matt. Yeah. People can call us now. Yeah, you can call us 1-833-STDWYTK and just leave a voice message. You might get on the air. All right, but there's, uh, let's say all of that hullabaloo sounds interesting, but you have something important that you want your fellow listeners to know. It's the most important part of this show, and you don't... You don't like the social media stuff, which we totally get, and you're not that much for phone calls, which we totally get. The good news is you can write to us directly. We are conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. At- 